So six months ago, I read over a thousand pages of Monster Beverage Corporation's public filings because I was curious to learn how did this company go from 30 million in sales to over $9 billion in sales and a company valuation of $60 billion because they've been public ever since they were at about $30 million in sales. And you can see the entire path from there to where they're at today. And what I found absolutely blew me away, which brings me to our third level of product positioning, which I call power. So this is the final part of a three-part series that I've been releasing here on my daily show. So if you missed the first two, you can go back to the previous two episodes and check both of those out because this is the third level of the three levels of product positioning. Enjoy. And then I think the third and final sort of level here is what I'm calling brand power. This is when the brand itself actually stands for something. Uh, so it's not just like an individual product. And this is what I think Bulletproof did well early on anyways, is that if you were bought in or reading all those blog articles and stuff, is that you felt like if you bought any product from them, it was gonna be a high quality product that was gonna make you healthier. And so I think that's the kind of positioning. And there's been bigger and better examples since then, but I think they did really well with that early on. And so the reason I was showing this is because, I think I mentioned this to y'all before, I read like, a thousand, two thousand pages of like monster beverage um, annual reports. Cause I was very curious, like how the hell did this company go from 30 million in sales to a $60 billion valuation? Uh, and it was very interesting reading that story. And a big part of it was like a few things that we've been touching on here. Uh, one was constant testing, constant new product iteration. They were constantly rolling out new products. So that was interesting. Cause at first they started out as like a healthy juice company. Then they kind of came with these healthy sodas. Then they also did kind of what Ben was talking about. They found a growing market, uh, which was energy drinks, which were very new at the time. This was like late 90s, uh, very new at the time. And they decided to place a bet, test. It wasn't necessarily like, this is gonna blow up our business if you read the annual report. It's like, they had no idea. But they're like, they placed a bet and they end up creating an energy drink product that was under their name, Hanson's or something. Uh, and then that product starts taking off and they're like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And they see that momentum building, they start doubling down and then they basically create this monster beverage, but that's when they did something a little bit different was to really make it stand out. What they found out was is that like Red Bull, who there was a main competitor at the time, had the little like eight ounce can, and they found out from their, I think CFO, that like they could have like the 16 ounce can and it would basically cost them almost nothing else. And then they did a little focus group and the guy was like, man, this is like a monster. And that's how they came up with a monster can size. So they had a unique product that was in a growing market, two important lessons, um, then they really doubled down with good branding. So I think the goal here is to make a brand that actually means something. Uh, C's has, why the hell am I putting this here? Oh, because <laughs> I think one of the things we're looking for is to have a brand that can actually exist long-term, not just because it sounds nice, because that's how you get outsized profits. When you get to the point of like a Coca-Cola where everyone on the planet can rip that product off, sees candy, everyone else makes candy, but when they've built this brand over time that means for something and they've reinforced that positioning year after year after year after year with ads and emails and all that kind of stuff, then eventually that what, that's what allows you to have much higher profits long-term. And that's how some of these brands can spit out you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars 20, 30, 40 years later. And when you want the maximum value for your company, either for yourself or for somebody else, this is what I think you have to do. The brand has to stand for something, and you have to constantly reinforce it. And that's when I think you see these consumer brands absolutely explode. And so part of it, I think, is getting um, as close as possible to the customers. 
A lot of times, especially if you're Amazon focused, you want to hide from your customers. Uh, I think that, and Miguel says, yes, I do. <laughs> uh, that's where it comes down to having a product you actually really like. Because if you're like your customers, you're just interacting with people that are like you. And so it's not going to be necessarily possible for everybody. But like, you know, your supplements, you may be like, yeah, they're good, they're high quality. Uh, uh, we do good branding, good packaging, all that kind of stuff. But you may not want to be like, you know, telling everybody in your neighborhood that like, this is a product I sell, you should buy it also. But I think that's better if you can. When you're that proud to talk about it. And I don't think that means necessarily you have to throw away your current brand, but I think that the new stuff you introduce, I think that's what you're trying to accomplish. Where like, you literally want to tell everybody about it because you think it's so good. I mean, us with our coffee, like I drink it every morning, we're literally bringing it here for the event. Elaine wants to take a bag home. Uh, my dad, my mom, they're both paying subscribers. Um, I try to get Mike to pay, but Charles keeps giving him free coffee. Uh, and so we're very into this brand stuff. And so I think that's like the ideal scenario. And so Charles has done this well, where we have this Facebook group that's just, it's not just customers, but that was the original idea. There's like 20,000 people in there um, that we're trying, the more we can get in front of the customers, the better. Like we want to interact with them more. And that's when you start really getting a feel for who these people are. They start getting more bought into the brand, more communication, uh, more referrals, all that sort of stuff, I think is the level that you're trying to get to. Uh, Monster, part of their reinforcement for their brand was intentionally choosing things like who to sponsor. They're like, what do we want this brand to stand for? And so that kind of affected who do they sponsor, because they could sponsor anything. Um, but they chose, like, what is this position? We want the kind of extreme, like the bigger can, maximum energy. They've got the little black bottle with the three sort of like uh, scratch marks almost. And then they choose early on these extreme sports which was interesting because nobody else like this was really sponsoring them at the time. Also, it was probably cheaper than sponsoring some big you know, NBA team or something like that. And so that was two reasons. It was going after a niche, and it was also probably cheaper than going after some other things. But choosing who they sponsored that aligned with the brands, also very important. Um, probably not everyone's going to align with their political beliefs and stuff, but that was not really a thing five years ago, crazy enough. Uh, people were just like, man, this is an amazing brand. And so they're very environmentally conscious. That affects their branding, their packaging, the causes they support, a lot of different things. They have programs they do. They have like a recycling program. They don't have to do any of that sort of stuff. Uh, stuff they do for employees, but it aligns the whole brand around this thing where you know what they stand for. Chick-fil-A, another example. Um, who knows how much money they possibly could have lost forever by always being closed on Sundays, but that's aligned with their brand. That's what they're into. And so they closed on Sunday, but now it's almost a branding statement. I don't know how many of you all have a Chick-fil-A near you. I have never seen a Chick-fil-A in the middle of the day not crazy busy. Like, it is insane. Something is working for them. Um, they run a really high-quality business. Like, their employees seem really well-trained, always very, you know, they're hiring, like, 16-year-olds, always very professional um, I feel like they hire the 16-year-olds from like the chess teams or something like that. Like, it's always a little. <laughs> but they're always very professional, nice, well-dressed, clean. <laughs> it's always a little dorky. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but they're great. Um, they do a great job. Uh, also, uh, you know, uh, Dave Asprey early on. Who just whistled? <laughs> hey, you know. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, he's all, he, like, look at his freaking glasses. Like, he really, I think still does this. Wears these things everywhere. He doesn't need to be wearing those things everywhere. It's not going to make that big of a difference. Uh, but it's very in line with his brand, helps him stand out. Um, and it means more than uh, you know, his products just saying that they're healthier. And when his whole brand is aligned with his mission, or at least before he sold Bulletproof, uh, even some of these extreme things that he's doing, like 
uh, being on the forefront of like biohacking and that kind of thing, all supported this brand and made it stand for something. So I think this is really what we're trying to get after is to go from here where most people are at, but still looking at upgrading your branding and quality and all that kind of stuff. I think that's a must now. Maybe like, you know, back in the day, you know, 2014, we were talking about just Amazon stuff. Maybe it was kind of like a maybe, but I think that's a must now. Then I think for everyone in here, unless you've just got some easy opportunities um, to double down on some new products on Amazon and stuff, you're almost half, going to have to do something like this to be able to stand out and scale with an omni-channel business. And then I think this is more aspirational. Like if we can get to this point, I think then it makes every new product that you launch that much more effective because people are so bought into the brand. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode of this daily show on the three levels of product positioning. That was the last three episodes that we've done, including the one today. Starting tomorrow, we're going to be back on a new topic beyond this little three-part mini-series we've been doing here. So if you want to learn more about what I'm doing to grow my businesses and more importantly, how you can apply what I've learned selling over $300 million online to grow and build your own businesses and create your own financial freedom, please subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcasting platform or on my YouTube channel. Thank you for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.